We always screw up the names, Tim. <laughs> it's not. No, I never know them, and you you do your best. I do my best. Do you know that it's not Oppenheimer? It's Oppenheimer, and I said Oppenheimer for an hour is embarrassing. <sighs> I think you're doing great, man. Thank you, Tim. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for October 2023. I am your host, Jonathan Butcher, and I'm joined once again by Mr. Kansas City himself, Tim Nelson. What's up, Tim? What up, John? How it's are good you? Good to see you. Good. I miss you, man. I was thinking about our trip the other day. I was like thinking about just the good times, all the good eating we did, that Hawaiian place. I like, for whatever reason, cannot get that out of my head forever. Pretty good. <laughs> this is so good. It's kind of like even Hawaiian fast food. It's probably something you get at like the mall, but for whatever reason, it's just a taste that I've not accustomed to and I really enjoy it. It hit the spot. And it was like a hot summer day, and then we went, and it was perfect, yeah. Right. It's the place. Yeah, and remember that salmon appetizer we got at the barbecue place? Oh, jeez. Oh, so <laughs> I know, that's my wife's fault. She told me about it. Yeah, so it's not just all barbecue here. There's right. other things at the barbecue restaurant that you could eat. Yep. So that's kind of fun. So John comes down to KC once a year. It's like mm -hmm. a John loves traditions, customs, habits, and traditions. As long as they're good. Like, if they're yeah. not good, ditch them. You know me. That's true. I love it. My wife likes customs, habits, and traditions, and I have gotten... I like them, too. Like I, But I didn't grow up with... You didn't grow up uh, around traditions? It wasn't your thing? We had, like, Christmas and stuff, but we lived really far from my one side of the family and then probably six hours from the other side. Okay. So we did mostly stuff within, like, just our little family. Gotcha. But, yeah, yeah. I feel like now we have a lot of traditions. Yeah. Yeah, start a tradition. That's, like, for our listeners, like, traditions are fun. You don't have to, like, reinvent stuff all the time. You could just, I mean, you can start a tradition. You could observe something that you haven't. And that's one of the things that I've learned and my wife has showed me the fun of. It's mm -hmm. so like I bought pumpkins yesterday. Nice. I've gotten into, I've like, I leaned into it instead of being like, oh, what are these people so into the fall for? Now I'm like, <laughs> no, go lean into it. Enjoy it. It's like, it's a gift. It's all a gift. Yeah. So we don't have, I don't have to be all, you know, like the two Muppets in the back. <laughs> I could be positive. Muppets? Yeah, I love it. I think that's right. Traditions, man, they're great. Like, and kids remember them. Even just a simple thing like making breakfast like once a week and having like a breakfast thing. I started that a while ago and our kid, my kids will remember that for the rest of their life. And yeah, fall traditions are the best because fall is the best, Tim. October is, yeah. without a doubt, the best month of the year. There's no question in my mind. It's just perfect. Everything's happening in October. The weather's I do changing. like October. Yeah, right? Yeah. Football and baseball, although I can't really talk about that anymore. I watched that Bruce, last night. Oh, oh it's brutal, Tim. Brutal. So this is something interesting. So like, I live fairly close to the pitching coach for the Cubs. Okay. And he, there are, they were done already. Like they, they didn't got knocked out. It. Yeah. They got yeah. knocked out of the wild card. So our brewers, you know, I'm like, well, I got to watch the brewers in the playoffs. So I watched the night before and I watched last night mm -hmm. and they basically got swept and it was totally. just ugly. It was some terrible defense. It was some no runs. It was some meltdown pitching in the six. They think, is that right? It's excruciating to watch. Basically both games, we came out blazing and it was like, oh, we got this. And then just fell apart. The pitching left so many people on base. It's embarrassing. So many people. Yeah. How many? So I remember at one point I had to turn off the first game because I was like, I can't watch this anymore because we had had at the point I turned it off, we had 10 hits, 10 hits. and four runs. They had five hits and uh, four, no, five runs, I think, or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It was something like that. I'm like, well, can we just not like drive runs in? What's going we on? can't here? do it. There were so many times where we had bases loaded and it would just boom, ground in a double play. It's so sad. What is going on? I know. I know. So anyway, it was just we and we lost to a team that actually had a smaller payroll than we did. Mm -hmm. That's like that's unheard the of. Succeed. How did that happen? How did that happen? I know. It was awful, but it's whatever. It's okay. It's still fun watching baseball in October. I still look forward to it. And I guess we should count our blessings that the Brewers have been in it five or six years. So I asked the Cubs guy. I'm at the mm -hmm. bus stop. His kids go to school with my kids. I'm at the bus stop and I go, dude. 
Did you catch the Brewers game? He got a big smile on his face. <laughs> of course he did. The freaking Cubs like, fan. That's I said, so did insulting. you enjoy that? And he's like, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> there are some good Cubs fans out there. I have a friend who's a Cubs fan, and she emailed me and was like, I'm sorry, man. And like, I was rooting for him. So, I mean, it's okay. I guess some, there's some fans out there, yeah. you know, Diamondback fans. There's always next year. What I, love about sp- <laughs> what I love about sports is that like there's always you're just almost always ends in heartbreak because there's only one team that wins. Right. So you're almost yeah. always crushed. And then months go by and you just forget about it. And then the new season comes around and it's like, what happened last year? It's just it's gone. And you start fresh and it's just it's beautiful. I was thinking about baseball. Like as everyone's team dies, well, some people's team dies real early in the season, but like usually like, cause they're, they don't, you know, they don't get any, but we're in this season of like, even the leaves are dying. The grass is dying. Everything is getting like bleak. And then of course the brewers died. Mm-hmm. So we're in this like season of death and then we'll have rebirth, but man, we're in it right now. Everything's fallen. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day too, but why is fall my favorite season when it's basically the season of death? And it just goes to show you that like death is woven into it all. Like we somehow death is part of the journey and we can't escape it. We want to escape suffering. We want to escape pain, but like that's part of it, man. And the year wouldn't be the same without death. Slash right. And I'm sure the Diamondbacks are going to experience that against Los Angeles, right? Sure better. <laughs> Cuz that's sure a better. big money, large market, destructive yeah. team. I hope they get destroyed. <laughs> <Sure> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> sorry, but, sorry. I, I'm taking your sentiments seriously, but also not seriously. But yeah, I, no, I think you're right about death and it's art, right? So like you like movies. So mm-hmm. like it's, it's these cycles, it's death, it's sex. It's, it's a reflection of life. I mean, we see that in scripture too. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're in that period of time. Yes. And it's also scary movie time. Now we've talked Ooh. ad nauseum, I think every year about what our favorite scary movies are. So let's like, switch it a little, up a little bit. And Tim, have you seen a, either a Halloween theme movie or a scary movie like recently ish that you were like, Oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that before. And it wasn't good. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, I was so. ready okay. for this. I'm never ready for this question and I am this time. <laughs> Go. So I watched Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 oh. and Army of Darkness within like four days, like each night Summer and I would watch it. Dang. Summer Those too. Great. Yeah. Wow. Great movies. Sam Raimi. You probably love Raimi, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Raimi's great. Of course. I thought the first one was better than the second one, which is an unpopular opinion. The first Evil Most Dead, people but... like the second one the best. Yeah. That's true. I actually looked that up. I was like, who, which one do people think is the best one? And they think that, that two. But the problem is, is if you watch one, then two makes no sense mm-hmm. in the beginning. You have to like get – because it kind of it was like – it's almost like one is a draft for two. I just preferred more of the dread vibes of one than the more goofy caricature vibes of two. It's just more of a personal preference, but I don't know. You'd rather keep it scary. Don't go Bubba Hotep on with. Uh, yeah, it feels yeah, re- yeah. more real and grounded, but yeah, it's okay. So what is so weird mm-hmm. about these? So this is weird to me and maybe, you know, and I'm sure there's some Fangoria types out there that we could tell us. The third movie is not called Army of Darkness. It's called Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. But Bruce Campbell is not the character. It's the actor. (laughs) I did not know that. That's so weird because everyone just says Army of Darkness. Yeah. Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. He's the actor. He's not even existential. Yeah. How weird is that? That is weird. weird and wonderful. How is the third one? Because I've never seen it. Where would you rank it among the first two? It's silly. It's probably more like probably more like the second one and it has good actually really good cinematography for a really crappy movie and it had budget the uh, first one i kind of agree with you on the first one mm-hmm. like most people do like the second the first one seems like you're breaking new ground the second one seems like okay everybody you missed the first one because you did and now we're going to help try to catch you up in some kind of form like this is a catch-up one it feels like that for 20 minutes yeah i definitely like the first one from the like you could, it was so low budget so funky, but also so stylistically unique. Like it, it's like, yeah, I hadn't seen anything like that before. There you go, Evil Dead. Check it out. All right. Well, I 
have two. First of all, there was a movie I watched with Jesse Eisenberg called Vivarium, which is on Netflix and is very underrated. I don't think anyone's heard of it, but it's actually a very scary, crazy movie. It's like about a couple, young couple who gets goes to look at a house and then they get stuck in this neighborhood and can't get out. And it's very, very extreme and scary. So like if you are genuinely don't like horror movies, you don't like being seeing extreme and scary things, you should not watch it because it is it goes places that are dark. But it is very good if you are a horror aficionado. So Vivarium, it's on Netflix. Vivarium. Check that out. That's the same thing as a biodome of Vivarium. <laughs> is that I didn't know what it meant. Is like that what that life, means? It's like it's like a life enclosure. <laughs> okay. That's what that's so, perfect for the movie once you see it. It's probably yeah. not the same movie as Biodome, is it? It's not Biodome. Polly Shore no. Good old Polly Shore. He really wants to make Biodome too. You know, he's always on the internet. I see it for really? some reason. The algorithm thinks I love Polly Shore because he's always has some video with his bandana on, going like, "I want to make it, guys. You got to call the studio. Tell them you want it." Anyway, <laughs> 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 well, even the studios are like, "Yeah, well, there's the a huge market like, no. for this, but we don't want to work with Polly Shore." <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anyway, and then the second one is Beetlejuice. Tim, I've never seen Beetlejuice. I literally saw it for Shut the first time five days ago. Up, John. I Shut up, John. Shut up. I'm telling I you. What? I know. You never saw Beetlejuice. It's Michael so Keaton good. Rocks, huh? It's so fun. Like I just what what was so surprising to me was I was expecting a very broad kind of like classic film that appeals to everyone, but it is a such a weird off the beaten path movie that like only yeah. I think a certain kind of audience would enjoy, and I loved it. No, it's a great movie. It, it fun, it's one of those movies that has it, it can function at multiple levels. So like, oh, there's a lot of in, like jokes that are adult jokes in that. Mm-hmm. And it's Burton, right? Burton, yeah, Tim Burton, like in his peak heyday. Like that's just classic Burton, right? There. I feel like yeah. that and Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. and like those are like it's kind of like weird, fun scary yes it's just like it's everything it's trick and treat yeah yeah Yeah. and i love that and i feel like he and i feel like maybe i wish he had like kind of just stayed in that more and got less like if you look at like sleepy hollow is okay i mean okay some of these other ones like uh people are always gonna love what's the animated one this is halloween this that's burton oh nightmare before christmas yeah i think that is burton Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I agree. He was perfect when he had that kind of fun, creepy, weird vibe. And he did that for a while and then he did kind of deviate and he hasn't done much as of late. I mean, honestly, when was the last Burton movie? Weird. I don't know. I don't know. All right. There you go. So you got some new ones to check out, y'all. There's your uh, Halloween picks. Anything else, Tim, you've been watching lately that you want to talk about? Anything that's been percolating? Oh, I uh, yeah. So I went with some folks from church to a movie. And we saw the creator. The creator. Heard I've heard song? about it. Yeah. What I well, the reason why it's on my radar is that Marcus has this new screen format. It's called X Screen, where you basically have sides of this. You have the side screens and you have the regular screen. And the weird thing is, is that so they say about sixty minutes of the movie has the side screens, and none of the footage that's on those side screens will be in the actual theatrical cut that you watch at home. So you're getting like extra space so in other words you always are getting a different product in the theater no matter what but this is overtly a different product saying hey look no matter how big your screen is at your house you'll never see this movie like this like this, this. Isn't a, it's, it's making event. it a concert event sort of thing right yeah, like yeah, so yeah. so it the is. creator is kind of a warm-up but imagine when you do that on a huge film that everyone's like you know crazy about i mean that would be worth going yeah i think so i we did imax Mm-hmm. for a creator it okay. was good i would say like a good like i think i told you a b minus which seems about right okay but yeah it was just i know this is everything's derivative but it just seemed very it was so et and like <laughs> all the ai stuff was like very played out and mm-hmm. uh it was almost like here's ai for people that haven't thought about ai until this year <laughs> <laughs> this would be this would be a great movie if you've never seen the other hundred that have already you're all if you never thought that the robot from terminator is going to come kill you this might be your introduction movie <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> if you never thought you'd fall in love with the robot <laughs> mm-hmm. this is your introduction so it's like yeah, if you even know who Philip K. Dick is, this is not going to probably... I mean, you might like it, but it just felt like it, had, it rehashed a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it didn't. It wasn't that great. And, the, and I think the reviews kind of bear that out. Okay. 
Well, I'm currently watching two shows. I'm kind of proud of myself because I decided to pair two very thematically similar shows together. It's both about Silicon Valley startups and falls, dramatic falls. So the first one is the one about Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, who tried to invent a blood machine that would only take a little drop of blood and do all the blood work, which sounds so nice, except they could not get it to work. And it just didn't actually exist, right? <laughs> it did not work. So like they marked, they're like, it does work and it does exist, but it didn't yeah. work and it didn't exist. It didn't, didn't ever work. And and they're operating, or they're doing blood tests on real people like cancer patients. And it, it's like, that's so bad. You cannot do that. So yeah. is it is this a good flick? I mean, is this, it's is really it good. Series? So it's a, it? it's a it's a show. So it's eight episodes, and it's got Amanda Seyfried plays. Oh yeah, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. She won an Emmy for it. She's fantastic. It's a really good show. And I'm pairing that with We Crashed, which is the show about We Work, which was a like office sharing company that was like, we're going to change yeah. how we work. And that's got Jared Leto and um, Anne Hathaway. And they're just like great performances. So like, I it's so Jared fun. Leto. I know Jared Leto's so weird. Like he's just like such a quirky guy. He's another one that vid- his videos always pop up on my feed randomly. He's just doing weird stuff in the internet and it's fun. But he, so like, but it's just fun seeing it's they're both eight episodes and so it's kind of like following the same beats where like i'm on episode four or five i think of both of them and they're both kind of at that midway point where like they're it's all starting to fall apart and it's just really fun bouncing back and forth between them so there you go we were nice. we crash and the dropout is the name of the one about elizabeth Holmes. so if you want to do a pairing that is delightful you should do it as well so it's called dropout and that's the okay. dropout yeah, the dropout. I would. I think I, the Wii one's been out for a while, right? Yeah, it's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. And then the dropout's fairly new. Uh, that also has been out for about a year, I think. But yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And that leads us to our discussion today, Tim, because the movie we're going to be talking about is another rise and fall startup journey. And this one is about BlackBerry. You remember the BlackBerry phones, right? Who doesn't? Everyone loves Dude, their I was, I'm older than you. I've been around for the Blackberries. Yeah. <laughs> you were, did you own one, Tim? Did you own a Blackberry phone? No, because they were a status symbol. I couldn't afford a Blackberry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was like, I probably had a Motorola Razor at that point, and other people were rolling Blackberries. Right. Or something like that. Why do we like these stories so much? I want to start with that. Why do we like rise and fall stories? Like the, the, especially ones based in true life events. Like there's something about it that works every time. I don't know why. Yeah. It's like Icarus, Daedalus. Like, can you, I mean, really like make, can you make wings and be unlike anyone else? Mm-hmm. Like a superstar. And then you fly so high and then the uh, wax melts on you. This is what this is. Maybe it's covering both angles that we kind of like like in our brain. We like the idea of someone. We like the idea of like you know in you know one person who's different from everyone who has this one unique idea. We like seeing people get like the whole world because there's a secret part of us that wishes that we could like have it. But then we also know we never will. So we like the fall because we're like ha. I'm not a loser. <laughs> but I was, this is a really interesting question that you asked. I think that's a good question. Like, why do we like the rise and fall? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if it's American. Mm. I mean, obviously, I gave a Greek mythology example, but I'm like thinking in general, like the rise and fall stuff is like very much like rags to riches stories that you see in the turn of the 20th century, right? Yeah. Or at the end of the 19th. So people, and we've always loved that because I think we, I think class dynamism, right? It's like the idea that we could transcend our current state, right? Yeah. And move to a higher one. But if we did that, that we're always vulnerable to fall back down. Uh-huh. So I think that's an American idea because I think the American dream kind of connects to the idea of like, we could all rise up. So I went to college and my parents didn't. I, you know, I own a house and my parents didn't. Those kind of things. I think you're onto something there because usually the inventors of these things do have kind of a rags to riches tale where like they grew up in poverty or they're immigrants or they're in Elizabeth Holmes case, you dropped out of Stanford or whatever. There's always like this sort of backstory where like, I'm going to make my own way, even though, you know, and so I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Class dynamism. And then there's a part of us that wishes that we too can transcend our sort of current state. And uh, we're comforted when we see other people realize they can't truly do it. (laughs) Maybe. <laughs> We're like, told you so. <laughs> told you so. Sucker. That's like, that's like the id inside of us. I don't think we're consciously thinking that, but I think I'm just trying to understand why it's like so innately satisfying. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that whole movement, like, can you be greater than you were whatever station you're born into is like a really interesting idea. 
Yeah, plus the beats are like already there for you, right? Like it's really hard to screw it up because you've already you've already got this classic journey that sort of works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, it is. It's like every I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I anytime I see what he's I'm like, oh, it's the karate kid. Okay, it's also, <laughs> you know, five hundred other movies uh-huh. which yeah. i don't care that much about like i know a lot of people even when joker came out because i watched that again the other day which i still stand by as being a great movie and a lot of people are like oh it's just taxi driver mixed with kings of comedy or whatever and i'm just like whatever like it's fine you can take a mishmash and you can make it work in 2023 and there's nothing wrong with that i think i don't know there's hardly anything that would be original yeah original stories right it's just like notes on the piano. I mean, look, I mean, I'm looking at the keyboard right now. There's only so many notes and everyone's done all the chords, but like, it's just what you do with it, right? Yeah. I don't know. So does that mean we should stop writing blues songs because we've done them all? <laughs> but that Maybe. said, that said, I am like so freaking done with Marvel and Star Wars and stuff. So there is a point where you keep repeating things and it's just, it's too much. So I'm, I guess I'm of two minds. It's with it, saturated, right? It's saturated. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right, so that leads us into this movie, Blackberry. Let's get into the specifics of this rise and fall story. So the movie's Blackberry. It stars Jay Baruchel as the head creator of the Blackberry device. His name was Mike Lazaridis, and he co-founded a company called Research in Motion, which sounds so like cool and prestigious, with his best friend Doug. And together they came up with this idea for the Blackberry because they were like, look, the, the, I think one of like the coolest things that they say in the movie is like the internet is just like all around us right now and no one's figured out how to tap into it. Like imagine how exciting that was, that time period where it's like we know mm-hmm. it's here, we just got to figure out how to harness it and we know that like we'll be billionaires if we can figure it out. Dude, I was like alive in this time period and using cell phones, Dude. not at the very beginning, but yeah. like when they were... I had two or three Palm Pilots, and I remember having a phone and a Palm Pilot in my pocket. Wow. And going, man, why don't they make a Palm Pilot that's a phone? And they eventually did, but it wasn't very good. And why can't I have my schedule on my phone? Why can't I have a touchscreen like the Palm Pilot has a touchscreen on my phone with alarms, all that stuff? All my, con- I was like, what if I had all my contacts? Because what you would do in the old days, you would look your contact up. And then put it in your thing? And put it in your phone, oh, like old school. Gosh. I know. That's so tedious. And How it would sync your computer. Live? Yeah. So I remember feeling good. I'm like, I wish all this was one device. And then the camera, like you had a digital camera. In addition to that, you had a digital camera and your computer was a hub for everything. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, I, I uh, need to back up any of this? Go right to my PC or what, you know, at that point it was, it was a PC. So right at that moment, while you were thinking, why can't they make this one device? Mike and Doug were trying to figure it out for you, man. They well, were probably they were do doing it. it like 10 years earlier, but I well, was yeah. feeling that. I was feeling it when it came out. I yeah. was like, oh man, I wish we had this. And it was funny because it wasn't texting. It was email that was mm-hmm. like, the, you're like, what do you mean you emailed off your phone? Yeah, what? And I remember people that had them, they were always business types. Yeah. It's like, you know, I had friends that had them, but it was never regular people. It was like, oh, you had to be a business type, you know, kind of upper technical kind of person to have a Blackberry. Does anybody, does the audience know what a Blackberry is? I hope so. I mean, like they're kind of outdated, but I mean, it's basically like a phone that looks like a much more organic sort of looking device with an actual physical keyboard just built into the thing. I mean, that was the and big... Like a ro- Some of them have rollerballs and stuff. Roller balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So Mike and Doug came up with the idea, but they didn't know how to sell it. And so they ended up partnering with this guy named Jim... Basili, played by Glenn Howerton, he came up, he was sort of like the bulldog that they needed, right? You had these kind of two nerdy types who like had a good idea. business guy. Yeah. He was actually, he's the kind of guy that knows how to get the right people in the right room and say the right thing and actually like get it done. And he did. And so the movie follows them as they sell the idea and they get filthy rich and become on, you know, kings of the world. And then of course it all comes unraveling as a dude named Steve Jobs has a better idea. <laughs> well, or a team. Poor Waz yeah, never gets the credit, does he? I know, Waz. <laughs> I know. But he got his money. It's fine. They kind of make a deal with the devil. How so? Like with the Glenn Howerton character. Yep. They kind of make a deal. They kind of sell out because they know that 
if they don't sell out, they'll just be the same thing forever or their company will die. So like, we don't want to actually, and this I think is part of that whole, the, the structure, right? Is there's going to be this moment where you have to give up your integrity in order to survive, right? Well, yeah, that's a big part and of the movie. So right? that's they're like, if this business is going to survive, we have to give up our integrity. Mm-hmm. And we're and, and and that itself, that sacrifice will be very costly, but we're willing to make the sacrifice. So it almost is like, is it worth but it also could be the thing that is your downfall. So right. yeah, so I so like that. So it's the thing you need, but it's also your downfall, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like Glenn Howerton's like the devil in this. Totally. <laughs> that guy was like that guy was a deeply unlikable character. Like I did not like that man. Like he was very unpleasant. Have you seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? No, but this is what I was going to talk to you about, and we can move into acting here because like I was seeing, I was looking at pictures of him. He looks totally different than like how he looks in this movie. He has like a full head of hair. He's not some like yeah. bald old like psycho dude and he's apparently known for his comedy it's always sunny in philadelphia so like it must have been bizarre like you are you familiar do you watch that show with him in it i watched it like a while like a long time ago when it came out but i know the character well enough he plays like a failed sociopath in the show (laughs) so he's like with a group of friends but he's always like looking to like how can he improve his like own personal setup Uh, okay (laughs) but he's not he's like not a he's a sociopath so he's like he doesn't care about other people's feelings but he also is like, so he's like slamming his sister all the time. He's like mean to every, but like, he's always has a scheme that doesn't work. <laughs> is he funny in it? Like, is he that genuinely is funny? a failed That's sociopath funny. Right. is funny, right? Is Cause funny. it's like, yeah. they're always out for themselves and it's always failing that's hilarious so that's what the character that he plays so the sociopath part he like did very well i mean i feel like he did a good job in Mm -hmm. this where he doesn't care about other people so that part of the character i think he plays every you know day in and day out on the show I think that there isn't a funny edge to that character at all in this no. one. No, this one is deeply just dark, up. soulless. It's just <laughs> yeah. ruthless, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody is a means to an end, so that he can be on top of the world. Is basically that character, Jim. Yeah, power and money. Yep. You know that that's what he likes, and he doesn't care about the technology. He just wants power and money. Mm-hmm. But he did a good job with the character, Glenn Howardson. I have never seen him in anything else. I thought he did a really good job, even though I absolutely hated watching him do all the things he did. But he was good in it. And Jay Baruchel, I have not seen him actually play a real character in a long time, maybe ever. I mean, I'm just so used to him kind of popping up in the next Seth Rogen drug sex thing. You know, it is just like he's this the goofy nerd in the back, you know, doing one liners. Yeah, but like, yeah. it was nice seeing him actually be a dude, be a person. I loved his character this yeah i thought because he's like a genius and then on the other end he's like so he knows like his limitations he knows he can't be a shark at some point mm-hmm. and then he has to like make, he's the one that's really making the deal with the devil yeah and so I, I i think it's intriguing and he's so innocent and nerdy and wonderful but he also is like aware that he can't do, run a business he can only make the product yeah. So that's an interesting idea. I mean, that's a complex character, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't know that he couldn't do it, he's not very fun. But now that he knows like, well, I can't step into this meeting and really do this. It makes for very interesting interactions. Yeah. And his interaction with Jim is so fascinating, right? Because like they both need each other, but they're both bad for each other. Yeah. No, totally. I thought he was good. And then his friend, Doug, played by Matt Johnson, he's he's fun because he's the guy that just wants to be like, you know, hey, let's let's have fun, let's make a product. If it works out, great. You know, if it doesn't, like, I don't know. He's just more like it's more about like the journey for him rather than the end goal, which is interesting. Yeah, I like. So he's the director, isn't he? He is the director. I was about to say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. He he directed this thing. He co-wrote it with a few other people, but he directed it. So the goofy Doug guy, that is Mike's best friend, uh, is the director of this movie. So yeah, what did you think about him? He's okay. I don't think he's the greatest actor. Not the I greatest. Think he's actor okay. Yeah, he's fine. Like they kept doing like all these like they had to use the cinematography to make him look like astonished or upset it's like it's always like we're always seeing him at a distance with a camera like going zooming in on him <laughs> you know uh-huh. like so it's almost like we're voyeurs like seeing this guy's reaction because i think he doesn't bring a sense of drama with just sure. he doesn't bring he's, it it's kind of a flat character he's really. a flat yeah. actor yeah which is okay he's a, i think he's a probably a dynamic director right mm-hmm. so you know everybody brings what they bring his character is kind of the idealist in the whole thing that's how I look at it. Yeah, the idealist, right. 
I like that scene where he comes, where he's like, you know, they've they've graduated to this big building. They're like doing their thing, and then he comes like he just wants to keep things like they were with movie night, you know. And he comes with like banging on his headphones and bringing the the Ninja Turtle movie to watch, and then like suddenly everyone's just working. And it's like, what is going on in here? Yeah, he doesn't like compromise. Like he's process. I think you're right about that. He's a process person. He uh, built the culture of the organization in the movie. So he Mm -hmm. actually is like a culture builder. So he creates the community there. He's super idealistic. So if it were him, they probably never would have even launched the BlackBerry. Exactly. Right. So he's like kind of a double-edged sword because we think of him as being so great, but he's so idealistic that... It's hard to see that anything that he like that he could this never would have happened, but he kind of is still writing it. Right. He's the kind of guy that like when you need to have that pivotal meeting that would change everything, he would probably be like, eh, it's okay. Let's just go play video games. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And it's also funny because he can pitch better than you see in the first scene. He pitches the company better than the Mike than Mike. Yeah. He pitches it way better. He's passionate. He cares. He can see like he really connects with people better. Mm-hmm. But he also is so idealistic that he would never make any compromises. So it's like it's hard to I think it's hard for him to function outside of that group of the community he's created. Right. You see that dynamic play out in the diner scene where like Jim is trying to pitch himself, you know, to become the CEO. And Doug knows that this is bad. Like this, this guy is going to like, you know, change everything and ruin everything. And he's just that idealist comes out where he's like, no, absolutely not. We're not doing that. No. But then you see that Mike, you know, he sees the big picture. He knows that this is what they need, even though it might result in change. So, yeah. Mm hmm. So yeah, so it's complex. It's probably you know, and I know I know it's probably not totally one like this person is this and this person is this and this person is this, but it makes for an interesting. It makes it interesting because you see the interactions between these three people. So what do you think of Matt Johnson, the director? How did you think it worked? Just the movie in general. What were your strengths, weaknesses? What did you think about it? Did he nail it? Were there flaws? <laughs> <laughs> were there flaws <laughs> your voice changed like did he nail it were there flaws just teed it up man <laughs> i thought he did fine i don't know like what do you want like i guess what do you want from this movie mm. it's about making keyboard phones okay <laughs> like we're not watching something about like this isn't schindler's list this isn't even like uh it's about a company that rises and falls i mean like what do you want from the guy now as far as like the cinematography, the pace, everything. It's interesting through the whole thing. It was one of these ones where we both watched it. You watched it online, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Streamed I paid it, yep. for it, it online. And I was like, why did this cost money? Like, that was like my first <laughs> why thought. Why did it cost it money? Like, it's only $5. Yeah, I know. But I was like, this should be free with a, some subscription. Because this isn't, like, I didn't feel like it was that, like, a high caliber movie. Mm-hmm. As far as, it's just like a lot of scenes in an office. Yeah, right. that's true. We're in the jet. <laughs> right. And yeah. you're paying like, you know, you're not used to paying. We're so like spoiled. You're like, is it on Hulu? Is it on Netflix? And then sometimes you have to actually like, pay five or six bucks and you're like, why am I watching a movie with a bunch of office scenes? Yeah. And it did have, speaking of office scenes, it kind of had some of that like office cinematography where like there's certain looks where it's like you're a voyeur and you're like part of it. They made it mm, look, that's like, like what oh, I was talking right. about earlier. That's interesting where the camera was kind of functioning as if you're an employee sort of like hanging out in the uh-huh. background, right? Like yeah. you're checking out and you can see certain things and like mm-hmm. that to me seems like TV, mm-hmm. like cinematography. It doesn't seem like, like the office or parks and rec or it seems like a very TV, like ways to create emotion or ways to include the viewer. And I didn't like that that much. Well, interesting you should say that because what's weird is they're actually, this is a Canadian movie, they're actually going to release an extended version of it as a miniseries on TV with like way more footage and stuff than they showed in the movie and it's going to be like episodes. So I wonder if that was the original intention and then they just tightened it up to be a movie. I don't know, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it gives it a sitcom-y vibe. That's mm-hmm. the, that's what I think. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not, there's parts that are kind of funny, I guess, but it's not a sitcom. It's supposed to be no. more like one, like a Adam McKay investigate, you know, investigative type movies or like where mm-hmm. we uncover like the corruption kind of movie. It's supposed to have that vibe, but it kind of sometimes it gets a little campy. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily like it that much. Like sure. that part of it. I don't know. It's hard. I think like, 
I think it's a cop out to say what what do you want to expect because I feel like we should always have high expectations and I feel like you can take a story like this and you can make it about more than just the thing, right? Every movie should be about more than just the thing. Yes, we're making a movie about people who invented the BlackBerry, but we also need to like have characters that tap into something beyond that, right? Like, and I feel like it could have done more in that area. Like, we could have had a little bit more of an existential read on, like, these, you know, the Shakespearean sort of elements of it. That, it, you know, that's what I'm always looking for in stories like this. Yeah, not, yeah. Don't, not just the plot beats, but, like, show me, like, what it feels like to suddenly gain the world and lose it all. And I felt like this was more surfacey than that. Yeah, so, like, I look at the, I think of The Old Man in the Sea, the book, the short story. I don't remember if you read, read that in I high school. I have not read that. that. Nope. Hemingway. So the guy, the old man who's past his prime goes out and he has, and he goes and he's going to try to catch this huge marlin, this big old swordfish. He has not caught a swordfish in days and days and days and days. And everyone abandons him. He can't afford to have a kid that would help him. Usually you have to have two people for it to reel it in. And he goes out and he catches this the biggest fish of his life and he's like in his 80s or something and he does he it takes him like two days to get this thing to shore and it's the biggest fish he's ever seen he's like oh everyone's gonna be amazed wow i didn't you know i'm not past he's like they saved the best for last he rises up he's like gonna be the best fisherman in the village and then the sharks start taking bites out of the out of the fish oh and they take a bite and he starts fighting them off and it's the tension is him fighting the sharks kind of like what we have in this movie and by the end, all he has is a skeleton and a head and everyone mm. could see how big it was at one point, but there's nothing left. So there's nothing to sell. Yeah. He's still in poverty. He's still an old guy, but he has like, Hey, I did this once. That's this movie, right? But how does Hemingway make it more than just plot beats? You know, that's the question. I, he makes it more because he, the identity of the man is like totally wrapped up into the, do I have it in me? Am I successful? Am I, and he does it with a poor fisherman. And, and he's a little more all or nothing, I feel like. These guys, I guess there's some elements of all or nothing, but I don't know. My biggest critique with the movie was that the fall part of it, the second half, you know, where they uh, – was felt rushed to me. And I think that was a colossal mistake. Like, I think we have a really good – you know, classic start where it's just like, here's the people who have nothing and they're nerds and they can't figure it out. And then they rise, rise, rise. Great. But then they do this time jump and I don't feel like they earned it or they didn't explain it well enough because suddenly everything feels different and every character feels different. And I don't think the movie ever recovers from that, right? You go from Jim kind of being this guy who's like focused on the company, expanding the company. And then all of a sudden he's just sort of like only cares about hockey and buying a hockey team and doesn't, he's kind of checked out of the whole company. You have Mike yeah. who has kind of was started out as a very kind, nerdy guy. And then he suddenly becomes, is ruthless and and I don't know. I just feel like there were changes that weren't earned in the second half and it felt a little rushed and sloppy to me. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. So why couldn't this just be a sports figure at some point, right? What do you mean? Why does it have to be tech? Why are we like so tech obsessed? Mm, sure. Like why couldn't this just be... Kurt Warner. <laughs> Kurt Warner. <laughs> or like, you know what I'm saying? Like some, yeah, some like uh, a figure. That... You never should have been in the NFL, but no, look. And then you fell because you had some moral problem, right? Uh-huh. Whatever it would be. So like, why is it that we're so tech obsessed that we have to have like a device be the center of like the narrative? Like, why do True. we have a device as the center of the narrative? Now I get it. There's a fish in the center of Hemingway's narrative, right? Mm. But like, why are we so obsessed with these devices? I mean, it could be an iPhone. It could be Facebook. I just... These tech stories are like just irritating to me. You know what's interesting to me too? If you go, so like using your sports example, like we have so many like rags to riches stories in sports, like Rudy, you know, yeah. for instance, there's so many movies like that, that it's like, here's this team that no one believes in, but they are this person or the sports figure. Then they figure it out and then they live happily ever after. Name one of those type of movies that's just like, then he rose to the top and then fell apart. I don't know, like for whatever, but whatever, but with tech, they were like, yeah, of course they did. They're, they yeah. got greedy and they fell apart but it's like but we always want to make it inspirational when it's about like a a sports figure i don't know it is weird it's bizarre to me why the tech that's our idea of power maybe Mm -hmm. 
Right, because it it does. It runs our life. I mean, like, think about it. You turn on the TV and you get a cell phone ad within five seconds. It's like it is the center of our life. So we think that that's the new mecca of power, and there is something to that. But yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense from the old man. If I'm going to use my old man in the sea as a measuring stick for this, the sea and a marlin are like the most, and sharks are like the most powerful things that that the villager would have known. Mm-hmm. Like that's power. I guess with a device being powerful, I guess that's all right. But I just am like, I get kind of bored of a device being like so central to a a device or a technology being so central. Yeah. If it's AI, okay. But like, I mean, I guess that's also a device. I guess. <laughs> <Right>? Like the creator, <laughs> it's like centers around a device too. I mean, it is always going back to that classic idea of like, you know, power, right? That's what we're, because there is something innately intriguing about that. And it's like they're, they built their way up Wall Street. You know, they had to like, they had to do with the whole stocks and everything. So it's going back to kind of like they're, they're using the levers of power to gain the world and lose their soul. I mean, we're, that's just kind of the, the old classic story. Or we could go back to like Frankenstein, right? Like, I always do that with these devices, because Frankenstein is a kind of a device, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, we're going to bring back, we're going to create life where there was no life. Okay, and then that thing goes, gets out of control and, like, tears everything up. That's a good analogy ah, for this. Kind of yeah. similar, right? Yeah. Our greatest triumph was also our greatest flaw. You know, the, oh, and then, yeah, and we can see it 2020. It kind of became that way for the BlackBerry, right? Because their greatest, the reason why they were so, uh, they cornered the market was they had a keyboard on mm-hmm. a device. And then Steve Jobs comes along and is like, no, there's no keyboard. It's all digital. And they just can't like even wrap their heads around why anyone would want that. Everyone loves our keyboard, right? And then they don't. Yeah. So I think it's hard because you grew up without a keyboard, right? On a phone? Mm-hmm. On a phone, yeah. So I grew up with, there's no touch screen. So I, I, I got a phone when I'm like 20, okay? Yeah. There's no touch screen. There's no color on a phone. No color. I, I know, right? And then there's also, so you've got to toggle everything. And if you wanted to text, which is rare because it's so slow, you, you'd have to push the buttons, the numeric you buttons. You do the like numbers things, times. right? So like the number three has D and F. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> yeah. Forever forever so they'd have like some shortcuts built in where you could push like if you wanted to text you but we'll see you later or you know like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff but there's nothing out there Jeez. and you have so like if you want to get actual work done you had to go to a computer like a pc and then you would do the actual work and if you and you just make calls on your cell phone basically hey you know there's no directions and that's so the fact that they had a keyboard was so revolutionary but it's hard to see that now yep that that would be like, oh, wow. Because, uh, right? yeah, like now we look at it, we're like, wow, what a piece of junk. It looks just silly to us, like Atari or something. Uh-huh. But, but back then it was like, oh, my gosh, wow, this is amazing. An email machine. I mean, that's how you'd look at it. Right. But it's hard to get to that place if you've never been there. Well, let's talk about some themes. I think... For, to start us off, to kick us off here, I think the contrast between Doug and Jim is really interesting and worth exploring mm-hmm. in corporate culture, America. So Doug is kind of like the dude that's like, you know, I, I just think like when you're talking about corporate culture, I think you run into this. If anyone who's ever worked for a company runs into these kind of competing ideas, right? Because Doug is sort of like the Apple, the Google type culture where it's like, yeah, we're going to do great work, but we're also going to like, you know, it's more, the employees are more important than the product. You know, it's like the famous example of uh, Google or Apple having a nap room. It's like, yeah, you know, go take a nap if you're tired. It's like, but then Jim is kind of like the guy who is like, employees are a means to an end. It's all about the bottom line. It's all about what we can, what we can do. Like people are automatons, they're machines. And anyone who's worked in an office knows how that feels. And so you kind of have these tugging influences. And I think you can kind of make a case for both in a way, because like you could say that sort of that drive them till they're dead notion actually does get the ball moving and get work done, but it, you know, but also like that the culture is important too. So I don't know. I thought the two comparisons to there was interesting. Yeah. I like the line where he goes, why do people work here? He said, cause they can work on the world's the greatest phone in the world or device in the world. I can't remember something like that. Right. Yeah. And the dude's like, he just, he says, Oh, that must be it. Yeah. yeah that's right. what he says. He says, Oh, that must be it. Cause he knows it's not, that's not it's why not they work it. here. They work there for either. They, there's two ways to get them there in the movie. Either you can pay them a crazy amount of money, like astronomical amount of money, 
or you can give them community and something that they're really interested in doing. So the difference is, is like corporate types are like, if they're like trying to build efficiencies, trying to make deals, trying to get this company to like squeeze everything out of the company that you can find. And then the creative types, the, the people are actually making the product, cracking all the different problems that they have to deal with. They're not motivated by the same things. Mm-hmm. They're motivated by, is this interesting? Does it feel like family when I go to work? Can I watch a movie in the middle of work? Can I play some ping pong? Do I have a, and then I can figure this stuff out on my whiteboard and they probably, there's a whole, like there's, it's a totally different set. And I, and I think it's interesting cause I've hung out a lot with a lot of the coders and Silicon Valley types. And also even I knew a dude that wrote a book on how to care for those guys. Uh-huh. And it was like, it's so interesting. Yeah. He's like, well, you want to care for programmers? This is how you do it. And a lot of it's building community. And it's like right. that movie really captured that well. And I think people will accept less money with a culture like that because they feel like this, their family, they feel like they belong. You know, that is more important than money. But all Jim understands is money, right? Like he's going around offering everyone $10 million and that's how he gets the best people, right? Doug's offering yeah. movie nights. But that's actually more valuable in the end. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. It, it does show us like motivation, right? So like in the end, because I looked all this stuff up, Doug actually has all the money in the end because really? he cashes out when he's like, when he has, when, yeah. When oh, he's Doug, done, yeah, like, yeah. They say that at the end that he actually like, he cashed out at the peak of the company and is like a bazillionaire. Yeah. He cashed out when he was like, I'm, this isn't working anymore. I'm cashing this out because this place doesn't make any sense. And it happened to be right before iPhone. Yep. And so the dude actually was like, hey, we're sellouts. I'm going to go ahead and like liquidate because I can't be part of this anymore. And then he ends up like having more money than anybody else because he bought it peak. Yeah. But he wasn't totally. seeking that. He wasn't seeking that. Right. He was seeking. He wanted like he loved the company. He loved being with people. He loved movie night. He loved all the geeky fun stuff. And when they started trying to get efficient, that's when everything was falling apart. What a classic, like, Christ parable example, right? It's like the last will be first and the first will be last. It's like, here's this guy that doesn't care about money. And then he gets all the money and then the other two, like, lose all their money. Yeah. But I don't know. He's also problematic because he's also not making the difficult decisions to keep the business going. He's just trying to keep the culture of the business going. So those are two different things. I know. And that's where you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't say it's one or the other. You actually needed Jim. You needed that impetus, but there's got to be a middle ground between those two because yikes. Yeah. But I see it every day. I mean, I think Jim is like the personification of corporate America. And I work in a, for a corporation and I, it's hard, man. I have a boss, uh, who is like, you know, is, is a workaholic who like is just basically like, you know, it just finds value in it. Finds value in I'm going to go on vacation to another country, but don't worry. I'll be online, you know, all the time. And I just think like, it, and, and I, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying like, I don't like that, I, that mentality, but like that is corporate America. There it is. That's how you get things done, right? I don't know. The way that like most business folks that I've talked to that own businesses look at it is like war. War. That's why I know I could never be good at business because I couldn't think of it like war. Yep. Is that you're at war with another company and you get a taste of that when you see the iPhone come out in this mm-hmm. movie and you're like, oh, you just lost. Mm-hmm. And Jim immediately goes to war. He's like, I'm going to undercut them by reaching out to this one person and that's how I'll win. Yeah. Yeah. So that's business, right? In our system is war. Yes. So you have to beat the other guy to win. That's how it's envisioned by most folks. He was like, I got to beat Palm Pilot down. I've got to, you know, whatever I can, it's all maneuvering. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it is. And then what I would say is, okay, so as much as we want to, you know, demonize the Harvard guy that's the head of this company at some point, like it only exists because he's willing to go to war multiple times throughout the history of Blackberry, right? His ethics catch up with him when he gets busted. But I would say like, he's willing to do the difficult things that the programmers in the back room aren't willing to do. This is so funny because we've talked about this when we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum on this show, war and pacifism and everything. It's like, I'm always trying to argue like, 
is the, because there's people that say war is, you just have to do it sometimes. Like, you know, you have to kill Hitler, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm always like, but is there an alternative? Is there a way that instead of investing billions of dollars in guns that we could invest them in tasers that freeze people, you know, and come up with brand new ideas and stuff? So that's always my argument. So in this business culture, like, I think that's a huge argument that people will make is that this is the only way to actually have a successful business. But I say, is it? Is there a way that we, it doesn't have to be cutthroat, dog eat dog, I win, you lose. Is there a more Christ-like way to actually operate a business? I don't For know. For multinational capitalism? I <laughs> yeah. don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, honestly, it's like, well, are the guns and butter cheaper over there or are they more, you know, I, I, I think know. this is just, this is how it's been for years. I do think like, all right, what are we currently doing this podcast on? You know, probably mm-hmm. an Apple device. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, and so, how are our listeners listening to us? Probably on their phones. On an Apple device, not a BlackBerry. <laughs> not a and, Blackberry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think there is some level of like, if you have comparative advantage that as a business person, like that is your ethic, like it's comparative advantage. I know. And there's justifications behind all of it. Even the way we fire people, like I've always hated it. I actually almost had to fire one of my employees earlier this year because there were layoffs and I, thankfully it got avoided. But like I suddenly had to get in that corporate mindset of, I can't worry about this person who's going to lose their job and have to go home and tell their families. I can't think about that. I'm supposed to think about the company and the bottom line and everything. And then the way we fire them is we basically assassinate them. We're like, you know, they come into work thinking everything's fine. And at 10 o'clock, you know, they get like, you know, got a minute and then they're gone. Right. Like, but then the counter argument to that is, well, what happens when we give them a week heads up and they steal people's information or they throw their computer out the window and because they're mad, you know, so I, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to slow fire somebody. That's like <laughs> even worse, right? Right. So oh, I don't know. I feel like every time I try to think of a more humane way to do this, then there's this counterexample that's like, okay, I guess, but it still feels awful. Yeah. So then we get to like, what's the gospel, right? Like, what mm-hmm. is what are we called to do? As far as my guess is, most of the folks listening have a job in either in a, in a business of whatever size that business is. You yeah. know, you might be working for a huge company or you might be working with, you know, in a small business, who knows, or maybe you have your own. So it's like, what, I think this asks a question like, or begs a question, what, what are you willing to do in order to keep your business alive versus being willing to like, go, no, just walk mm-hmm. and let just it walk. And maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's what it comes down to is that you have to make a personal choice that I just, this is the culture and it's the only way to do it. And I don't want to participate. That's hard. Yeah. So I don't, and it may not be as, you know, so cut and dry. It might mm-hmm. be like, well, we just need to change the way we do some of the things that we do. And I think that that's possible too. One way I relate to it is I love concerts. I've told you this before. And when I go to a concert, I always want to be in the front row because I'm short. And the worst thing is being behind like three rows of people and they're all tall and sweaty. I can't see a thing. It's terrible, right? I apologize. I'm I know. tall and sweaty. I know. <laughs> but in order to get first, you got to put in the effort, right? You got to get there at noon, one o'clock. You got to stand in line all day. You got to be first now, but that's not the only part of the journey. You get there first. Great. But then you got to maintain that position because throughout the day, there's going to be people that come. Maybe they don't care about the line. Maybe they just kind of stand right in front of you and you're like, uh, Mm -hmm. excuse me. I was here first. Right. And then even if you secure your first place position, then the doors open and then it becomes total every man for himself chaos. Suddenly you're taking a little longer with the security wand and someone who is like six people down down from you is running into the venue. So then you're running in. I just feel gross every time I do it. And I've done it so many times. And every single time I'm like, the amount of work it takes to be first, to be front and center, to get that one position that everyone wants is exhausting. And I feel like every time I'm participating in these sort of like antichrist tactics of no, 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 me first. I was here first. And so that's what I think of is like, I'm not immune from this, right? Like this is the culture where like one person wins, one person loses. Only one person can be in that front and center spot. I don't know. So that's what I think of. And I just hate it. I hate it. And maybe the answer, like you're saying is just let it go. Just let it go. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I, think, I think it all depends on like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you, how you respond to it. These are all, there's so many different situations that are similar to this. 
to where like, why do I, and, and then we in North America have competitive advantage on almost everything. Mm. So like, we're like freaking worried about the concert, right? Or I'm worried about, Oh, do I get a good uh, loan on my auto or, you know, whatever it would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like other people are starving. So it's like, <laughs> Ouch. do you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> totally. I mean, right. They're trying to get like a bowl of food for the day. And we're talking about like being at a concert and first, yeah, that's that. You're no, right. no, I'm with you. 100%. I know. I know. I'm like, I know. I'm like, Oh man, I, why do I get to pay extra for, you know, those kind of things. Or like I'm complaining about food prices and I could buy the grocery store full of food if I wanted, you know what I mean? That kind of thing where there's people who are like barely making it. So I think it's, you know, this is a corporate America or corporate Canada. It's a very first world American tale. Yeah. 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 They're like, Oh, what if we don't make it? And really you're like, no, if you don't make it, you're still doing great. You're still better than 99% of the world. You got an NBA from Harvard and you're a, you know, a scientist. Everything's going to be fine. Okay. (laughs) Like, and they, the product they create is the thing that helps. Basically what it does is makes it so every, Buddy in business can work all the time, nonstop. So that's Isn't kind that of like, interesting. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of that very thing you talked about us recording on an Apple device, but I was even thinking of like what they created was the first steps to basically everyone being able to work wherever they can. And I think they mentioned this in the movie, like that was the dream, right? It's like, and it was something that really wasn't realized until COVID, I think for most businesses, but now we live in a world where you could literally just move to San Francisco and do everything you need to do for your business in Wisconsin or whatever, and not miss a step because of these devices. It's made it possible where you can be on the positive end, you can have more flexibility. I can be at home most of the week. I can hear my family in the background. I can interact with them and still get my work done. On the negative side, there is more pressure to work all the time, all the time. So I guess like where do we, this is like totally the theology of this. Where do we stop and where does the machine end? Yes. So like where is our, where are the boundaries of our humanness? Like when mm-hmm. do we go, hey, we put the phone into the drawer when we come home. Yes. Like, where is that? And like, I think that seems off limits to a lot of conversations. Like, so even if you're listening to a podcast on the phone, when do you need to like, not do that? Yep. yep. <laughs> like, right. Maybe just go sit out on your porch for a few minutes, you know? So, so I think it's like, where do we get in touch with our humanity? And I think like most people would say it's not on a device. I would hope right. that's the case. I would hope so. But that is totally true. Yeah. Yeah. It's that it's in, and usually it's funny because if you look at people's devices, like the background, what's the background on your device? Is it either a person? My family. Or, yeah. Or yeah. 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 So it's usually people on your device. That's the thing you're like, oh man, I can't wait to get back to this or it's nature. So like, Mm. even if you look at the Microsoft, like generic backgrounds, it's always like a lake or some, or Arches Park. Totally. All my wallpapers on my computers are nature scenes. It's like right now it's October leaves. Like, why do we do that? You're right. It's like, we're trying to only get off of the device (laughs) and go back to the thing that creation, right? Oh my God. That I'm made for. Right. So every device's background is either a person, which is a creation of God, right? Or actual creation, right? So outside and everywhere do we go on vacation? Beautiful places mm-hmm. or cities, which are like to me are like hubs of human like culture where people are doing things and we do and we love to like go eat. That's very human. Yes. No no devices eating, right? So uh even our devices are pointing us back to our humanity, but we really we struggle. So it's like where does the device end and where do we begin? And I think that's so it. it's like how do we build that? I think that's very theological. And it's a daily battle. And I feel like we've talked about this in the past and there's been times where we've got we're good at it and times where we're terrible at it because it is just constantly this siren beckoning us, you know? Every notification is a invitation to be distracted. It's hard and it takes conscious effort. My thought would be like the uh, signs of discipleship in the next probably 20 years are going to be how often do you get off your devices? Mm-hmm. How do we unplug now? How do we plug in? Is going to be where we see real discipleship happening. But I don't think anyone wants to talk about that because they want to have their podcast online and they want to have, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like we're totally. talking about it in a format that you're going to ingest through a device. But I think the discipleship is going to happen in the quietude and the reflection and the, and getting up and not, I'm not trying to load guilt on anybody. No. Like, that's not the idea. The idea is that you might actually find something that would renew you 
outside of the device, outside of the podcast. We were talking about your Kansas City trip. You know, the thing I remember, we were talking about the food. We mentioned the food. The thing I remember most, though, about that trip is there was a moment where we were sitting in a pool and you were, you <laughs> played a song about something about the fire. I forget what it was. Oh, Avid Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were playing this song and I remember closing my eyes and just soaking in that moment of being in this mm-hmm. this pool in the city with my friend listening to this beautiful song. I'll never forget that moment. And that was a total like just be in the present. Be in the present with no distractions. And like that stuff, that's spiritual practice right there. Like it is. Mm-hmm. And we need to not forget that because that is what is going to sustain us. That's our culture, right? That's where we're, we're the, pro, you know, if we're the programmers, that's our culture, which is movie night. Movie night is a spiritual <laughs> thing they did at, in the Blackberry movie, right? Yes. That's the spirituality of the organization. Yeah. And as Jesus followers, our spirituality is rooted deeply in the quietude, silence, accepting this gift that God's given us. That's the people around us and then the environment around us too. And that could be a city. That's okay. We're not like bashing cities. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go out to the country. John, you go on your porch right now and there'll be some loudness and stuff, but you also have some trees and the sun and like people and the wind will, you know, I mean, it's just like all these gifts are everywhere. And so like I just, um, and they're not necessarily on a device. And we can come back to it anytime. It's hard. Yeah, but you hard to get off the device, man. I'm not saying I have the key to that, but yeah, I used to fear like, oh, it's going to be pornography and, you know, addiction stuff. And I'm like, no, it's like the biggest addiction is like, oh, seeing if I got another like on something. Yeah. Like, that's the addiction. It's not these big old, you know, the, the big that baddies that we be. always, the right, big baddies. Right, it's right. like, no, it's the compulsion. And when I look at the report on my phone, I go, how many times did I check my email today? I mm-hmm. didn't like, oh, 42. That's a little nuts. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. insanity. It's, it's, I have quiet time. So I'm randomly th- scrolling through the feed. You know, why, why are you doing that? Right, exactly. Yeah. It's becoming conscious of that. All right, Tim. Good. What are your final thoughts on Blackberry? Go for it. I thought it was good. I'm still in like B minus territory. Okay. That's my letter grade. I thought it was all right. Yeah, definitely was one of those ones I was hoping a streamer would pick up and I could watch it for the price of the subscription. <laughs> so mad than about that five, five bucks. bucks. <laughs> well, because I'm like, uh, it just didn't seem like it had the same like quality as some other movies. Sure. It's all right. I'd say definitely it's interesting. It's I more was interested in the background of Blackberry than I was in the like drama of the movie. So I was like, oh, that's the Black Bear story. And the movie was okay. Gotcha. Well, I liked it. I did. I'm I'm a sucker for these stories. I just am like they're just always fascinating. I remember like I was glued to my screen the whole time. I thought it was entertaining. I do think it's flawed. I think the first half is much better than the second half. They rushed some stuff. I wish the characters were deeper. But it works. Like I just think you will watch this movie and you will be entertained for the whole thing and you will learn things you didn't learn before and it makes you think so. I'm going to give it a B plus. I think it was a decent flick. I enjoyed it. B plus. So there you go. And it's five bucks. So like, I mean, you know, if you can watch this movie right now, you can watch it. <laughs> What's our limit for a $5 movie? What does it have to be? I don't like, personally, I would pay $5 to watch any type of movie. I understand where you're coming from, but I personally don't have a problem with it. I think $5 is an okay price. But like, would you say like, so you're like, if it's a C minus, you're willing to pay and you know it well, ahead of time, I don't you're know like five bucks? If, if I knew it was going to be a C minus, I wouldn't pay $5. <laughs> but I mean, like to try out a movie I've never seen before, I would pay $5 for pretty much anything. So this is an average B movie between the two of us, right? Yeah, sure. You're a B plus, I'm a B minus, it's a B. Would it be worth $5 in your mind? Uh, yes. I think $5 is worth a B movie. Yeah. So what if we both were like solid C? Would you say listeners go see this for five bucks? No. No, then I would say yeah. no. That's your boundary. That's yeah, your boundary. I, think That's, I just didn't know. I, yeah. I hadn't thought about it before. So this is, it's good to, yeah, I think we're on the same page on this. There you go. So we are recommending the $5 for the B range. And maybe you'll think it's more than that. And if you do watch this and think it's maybe an A minus or an A, please write to us at podcast at cinemafaith.com and tell us about it. And we will read your thing on the air and talk about it. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. Speaking of which, Tim, we have a listener we both know. His name is Sam Considine. You remember Sam? Oh, cool. Dear yeah, Sam. Sam, absolutely. He's a listener of the show, listens regularly, and gives me feedback occasionally. I really appreciate his loyalty. So Sam has a question for you, Tim. Are oh, you goodness. ready? 
Who is Slobby Bobbin? Who is this person? He so sees that's <laughs> it's my fishing alter ego. Oh, he saw that guy. He saw it. So, I, for those that don't know, I do a lot of fly fishing, and I started po- speaking of evil social media. Anyway, so I I have an Instagram persona. A bobbin is a uh, what you tie flies with. So I'm like oh. a bad fly tire. Yeah. And so people are always like, what is that? Is that porno or something? And I'm like, no, absolutely well, not. Well, you do look sexy in that fur coat, to be fair. To I be am fair. wearing a fur coat. Yeah. So anyway, that's funny. Other people have asked that too. Yeah. So basically, I have a f- social media presence that's just fishing. Perfect. So that's what that is, Sam. Sam, you found me out and John exposed me in front of all the Cinema Faith folks. All our Cinema Faith people, if you go on Facebook and type in Slobby Bobbin, you can see Tim in a oh, fur geez. coat. Oh, geez. Be careful looks- if you type that outside of Facebook, folks. That's <laughs> It's a dangerous. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's your fly so fishing. Yeah, basically, it's fly fishing. It's all just fly fishing with me and people that fly fish with me. There you go. See how easy that is. Sam had a question and we answered it on the air. You can do that to listeners. Ask us something, and we'll answer it. It's that easy. I don't have a uh, podcast persona. It's just me. Right. It's just you. Yeah. But do you have right. one? I don't have Are one. You, no. Like, Twenty-four <laughs> frames, butrin or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although I did make one for the Reddit. We had like a Reddit thread for our Oscar thing. And I think I was cinema Hobbit or something like that. I, I was trying yes, to combine Lord of the Rings thing. and uh, Lord of the Rings and movies. Cause I, that's so dumb. I, I just know. remember Dan did not approve of that. Dan at all. hated it. He was like, that's he stupid. was a hater. hundred percent instantly hated it. Anyway, <laughs> hey, we mentioned Dan, Dan we Baker. We did it. I Dan thought Baker. we were, I was worried for a second. I'm glad we worked it in. All right, Tim, we were off last month, which was regrettable. Sorry, listeners. It didn't work out again. We were off last month, but I believe that we will be in a regular rhythm again because there is, until Oscar season, there is a stream of new movies every month because we're, we're in it, man. The, the kind of the regular season of film has come to an end and we are in the awards heavy time. So we will be back mm. next month with Killers of the Flower Moon, which is Martin Scorsese's oh. latest movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro probably seen some trailers Dude, I, I can't wait to get disappointed by this movie <laughs> I know I know it's like three I'm hours always, and 20 minutes I but yeah. I feel like it's gonna be ultimately disappointing I agree with you but like it looks so good I want to see it Scorsese, so bad. like the trailer looks good yeah the actors are good the cinematography is good and then you put yeah. it all together and you're like oh. something's missing <laughs> we're gonna have this discussion next month what's missing <laughs> hey, I was gonna mention to you I'm halfway through the podlock oh yeah had a podcast and mm-hmm. it's on Cinema Faith. Yes. So if you are missing out this month, I listened to about half of it. It's very interesting, actually, which of course it is. It's, it's you and, and our friend Megan, and you're talking about Barbenheimer and Barbie in particular, because we kind of handled some of the Oppenheimer. I'm mm-hmm. only halfway through, but it's very interesting, interesting theology, different perspective. You get two white guys perspective all the time here. This is different and yeah. definitely worth a listen. So if you haven't listened to that, if you missed us for the month, you didn't have to because there's another podcast that's right there for you to listen to. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for the plug. I really thought it ended up being a great conversation. And thank you so much to Megan for letting us post it on our feed and for facilitating a really great convo. So thank you. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you next month. Killers of the Flower Moon. If you want to do homework ahead of time, you can watch it and you can be ready for our discussion. That is happening. And hopefully we'll have a new show for you all the way up to the Oscars. So, Tim, thanks for making the time, man. It's good hanging. Good to hang with you. Good to talk about some film. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.